Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Okay, we've had the last week, and this week we've been doing uh, some talks on uh, Jesus Said What, some of the uh, more perhaps provocative or stronger things that Jesus said, but a really uh, heart-opening and mind-opening stuff that Jesus says as well that really does sort of strike to the core of, uh, of who we are and just actually uh, explains who Jesus is, the way he actually just knows us through and through and, and knows exactly how we tick and where the issues of life for us are. And this week we're picking up perhaps uh, one of the most powerful scenes in the Bible. I mean, I would have loved to have been there. Uh, just to see how this unfolded. It really was sort of a situation in John chapter 8 uh, where Jesus was on the spot, but, um, I mean, just really opened that up and really just revealed uh, the judgmental, critical heart of these people here. We're going to play just a YouTube clip, but before we get there, Jerry, I mean, not, not always uh, movie clips of the Bible accurate, but this actually will give a sense of the scene and perhaps the tension in the scene as well. So don't... Don't criticise of accuracy, but just get a sense of the uh, of the atmosphere. So thanks, Jerry, if you just play that for us, mate. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, please uh, go to John chapter 7, verse 53, and then we're going to read through to 8, verse 11.
Okay, reading from verse 53 of chapter 7. Uh, they, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Father, we thank you for this uh, powerful situation that you've recorded for us in Scripture. Lord, today we thank you that we can have the privilege of opening this up and, as it were, trying to place ourselves there and hear these glorious, costly words that Jesus says. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Help us today, Holy Spirit, to feel the tension in this, but feel the power in what Jesus says and what he means by that. Help us today, we pray, Holy Spirit. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, as, as I said, probably one of the most powerful passages of Scripture here as far as the sense of tension that's involved uh, in this situation. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, has the perfect ability uh, to see deep, deep into the human heart. Nothing is hidden from Christ. Nothing is hidden from God. Uh, and he knows exactly what's going on in our hearts and minds. Uh, then in truth and in grace and in wisdom, uh, Jesus, in, in the path of restoration, will expose our brokenness. And then led us onto a path of restoration and forgiveness and healing in our lives. Uh, here in, in this second talk of Jesus said what he does this very thing in this situation here with this group of people. Uh, what he exposes here is a very judgmental, critical heart here of the Pharisees and the scribes as they seek to set up this false or this accusation against Jesus at this time. And at the same time, uh, as it were, they get this Woman, and they sort of name and shame her in this act of trying to set up this accusation here uh, against Jesus. Uh, Jesus says that amazing word to this guilty woman of adultery to set her on the path of forgiveness and uh, transformation. Uh, here's our big idea for today uh, Jesus hasn't come to condemn us. Jesus hasn't come to condemn us. Uh, he has come to save and transform us by setting us free. From sin. That, that's the thought we're going to see, explore, and open up here uh, in this passage today. Uh, but again, you know, uh, let's just imagine the scene here. The movie clip sort of helps us see that. Pretty intense. Pretty intense is what's taking place. It's, it's high drama. Uh, Jesus has come to the temple courtyard. It says early in the morning here in the scriptures, which probably means about dawn. A lot of activity 
did take place, particularly in the summer months around dawn in those areas. And many people have gathered around Jesus here at this particular time. Uh, So he takes a customary seating position among them to teach them about God. Here in the middle of this eager crowd, sitting to uh, hear uh, Jesus teaching about um, God, uh, comes this mob of Pharisees and scribes. It's a mob mentality, bringing this frightened and scared woman with them. Uh, The Pharisees, who are they? They're a religious group uh, looking to protect their own traditions and their own sort of system of religion. But this mob, this mob of Pharisees and scribes, is on a mission. They're on a mission this time. And their mission is they've got Jesus in their sights. They're actually gunning for Jesus. They want to set him up as a false pretender and they're trying to set up this whole situation here. And with this woman that they've dragged into the scene as well, they're happy to trash her life as part of the way of getting towards Christ and uh, accusing him. What is this mob doing? This sort of uh, Pharisees and scribes, uh, they've come with a corrupted critical heart to judge and destroy Jesus and this woman at the same time. They're making a judgment on Jesus. They don't like what they see about him. And now they think in their mind it's time to expose him and make him out for what he really is, a false prophet. And they're judging this woman at the same time. This is this critical attitude, this judgmental attitude that's coming through these Pharisees and these scribes. Now let me just stop there for a moment. When we use the word judgment, we often bring negative connotations to it. And there's a lot of negativity, which we'll see here. But judgment's not a bad thing in itself. In actual fact, to judge things or people isn't wrong. We do need to do that. Often we, sh- we hear, no, we shouldn't judge others. That's not true. That's not true. Judging when carried out properly is a good thing. It's a good thing. We have a whole court system dedicated to making judgments. We've spent millions of dollars on a brand new courthouse down here in Shepparton for this very thing. Uh, Someone is found to be doing something wrong or accused of doing something wrong, so what do we do? We gather up all the evidence of what's taken place from perhaps both sides or both parties are involved, uh, and that's presented before a judge and a jury, and they reach a verdict, which we call a judgment, and that is then handed down. And we think that's right, don't we? Because we don't let things go unpunished or uncorrected. We actually think, no, a judgment does need to take place here in this situation. Every day you and I are making judgments. Perhaps not the same scale as the courthouse down here or what's happening in Jesus' thing. The coffee's too weak or the coffee's too strong. We actually make a judgment. The music's too loud or the music's too soft or it's too fast or it's too slow. We're making judgments. And these are all things that we do every day. So making judgments isn't wrong. But where judgments go wrong is this. When we look at the motivation of the heart that lies behind the judgment. What's driving this judgment? What's the motivation that's behind this judgment? What's happening in the heart of somebody to make this judgment that they're embarked upon? Uh, what is the heart attitude here we want to see? And particularly these scribes, we actually get a picture of this, of this heart attitude of the scribes and the Pharisees and the judgment they're making. And the first part of verse 6 gives us a look into their hearts. So look at verse 6 and it says this. This they said, this is the middle of the story of course, this they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. This is the whole thing they're doing here. 
They've got an attitude. We're trying to concoct something to test Jesus. It's already showing us here perhaps a, a bit of a critical aspect that's taking place with these scribes and Pharisees. And the backstory here is this. They don't like Jesus. They're not happy with Jesus at all. People are flocking to Jesus' teaching. Even this day in the temple when he's doing that, they're flocking to him and they're being awakened to the truth of God's majesty and sovereignty and his love through the teaching of Jesus Christ. People are now starting to see through, as it were, the falseness of the Pharisees and the scribes and see how they've sort of rigged this whole system to feather their own nest, as it were, and they're starting to lose their position of power and influence over the community. They're not happy. In fact, the Pharisees and scribes are very unhappy with Jesus. So what do they do? They want to set a test up now. They want to actually put Jesus into a corner hoping that somehow they can, uh, Jesus will fail in this test and now, now they can bring an accusation against him that will chop Jesus down to size, a manageable size now for the Pharisees and scribes so they can sort of have him as their little puppet. What are they doing? They want to bully Jesus. They want to bully Jesus and they want to destroy his character. That's all the Pharisees and scribes are after. So here's the situation. The Pharisees catch a woman literally in the act of adultery. That is having sex with another person other than her husband. She's unfaithful. She's cheating on her husband. And it's as though they've gone and got her and masked directly out of the bedroom and brought her straight down before Jesus to sort of put this test here to say, Jesus, well, what are you going to do with this? And the law of Moses, as the Jewish law, prescribes that she is guilty of adultery. They've caught her in the act. And the penalty is death by stoning her according to that law. But if we stop there and just take a breather and think about what's happening in this scene, we actually see a picture into the scribes and Pharisees' heart even in this particular detail of the story. And that detail is this. You've got the woman. Where's the man? You've caught them in the act. It takes two to tango. You've got the woman, but... Where's the man? What's going on here? Did you let him get away on purpose? Did you actually just set all this up so you captured her, but you let this person get away? Looks like a setup. Because you witnessed it, you caught it, but you didn't. Where's, what's, where's the man? Now, let's not forget that the woman is guilty, so we're not saying she's squeaky clean here. She's been caught, but so's the man. He's just as guilty as the woman. But they haven't targeted him. And the law says that not only do you stone the woman, but you should stone the man as well. So already we're seeing what's something that's taken place here, that this is just a big setup. So the heart of these Pharisees is corrupted and it's cruel, it's critical and it's judgmental. Becomes a naming and shaming exercise here by the Pharisees against this woman as they judge her. They're quite happy to drag her down in front of all the people gathered in the temple court yeah, that day. Here she is, we all know who she is, and now we're going to shame her as well. She's just like a pawn in their game of chess to try and checkmate Jesus. Isn't it amazing? how much of this we see and hear, even on social media today, this naming and shaming. People set out to destroy others by becoming keyboard warriors. You know what they do? They sit behind a screen or a mobile phone and they start throwing stones at people. 
Just tap away a message and then just put it out there just for people to see, to name and shame and to judge people. It's amazing how that happens. Stick it out in the public for all to see. Start throwing stones through their keyboard. Now, sometimes those judgments may be true on social media. I'm not going to say they're not all true. Sometimes they might be. But here's the question. Is social media the right place to share those views? Just You want to put it all out there so everybody can see what you're thinking? What are you trying to achieve by sharing those judgments on social media upon other people? What, what's your end goal that you're trying to achieve by actually putting that out there? Are you genuinely trying to uphold justice and you're caring both for the victim and the offender when you put out that social media post of judgment upon them? Or are you setting out to crush and destroy the offender to make them feel really, really bad? Through these judgments towards others, if we type out our message and just send it away, are we making ourselves look good and right and proper in comparison to this sort of person here that we're judging? Because that's often what we do. The worse we can make someone else look, the better we can think we might look to everybody else because we've actually put this other person down. Have you got all the facts right about the situation before you put out that social media post? Maybe you have got it wrong. Maybe you're falsely judging somebody. Happens so much today. Keyboard warriors, just like Pharisees and scribes, but throwing stones through the keyboard. So if the truth be known, if the truth be known, we're all a bit like the Pharisees and scribes. We can all easily fall into a judgmental perspective in life because of our hearts that are corrupted. It's quick for us to just write a judgmental comment and just put it out there or say it even in the flesh. We'll need to put others down through our judgments. So here's the test. The scribes and the Pharisees put to Jesus. She's guilty of adultery, Jesus. And according to the law, she should die. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say? And here is the test, because Jesus is known for his compassion and kindness to the lowly and the outcast. This is what Jesus is known for as he goes around the community to reach out with love and care for the broken and the rejected. Jesus is known to come and to get down on the level of those who are really struggling and suffering in society through rejection and being shamed. But Jesus is also known for his absolute allegiance to the truth of God and who he is. Jesus, the Son of God, remains faithful at all times to the integrity of God's word. So it's like here, which way are you going to go, Jesus? Is it compassion and kindness for this woman or are you going to uphold the law of Moses, the truth of God? And these scribes, they think they've got Jesus on the ropes. They think they've got Jesus boxed into a corner. They, they think, Jesus, you can't go both ways here, Jesus. You can't have compassion here as a word to this woman, and you can't uphold the law at the same time. You can't do both here, Jesus. I can imagine them with quite a proud heart in their mind as they're walking up and confronting Jesus with this situation. You see, they've got this corrupted heart. This corrupted heart of judgment and criticism here, they want to waste the woman and they want to put Jesus into a corner and make him out to be a false pretender. That's the scene here with the scribes and the Pharisees in this whole situation. So, what does Jesus do in this tense situation when everything's on the line, when Jesus is so called backed into a corner? The atmosphere is tense. It's really tense. 
got to picture it. People's eyes are switching back and forth. They're looking at the Pharisees. They're looking at the woman. They're thinking, what's going to go on here? You could cut the air with a knife. Finally, now they look in Jesus and they say, what's he going to do? What's Jesus going to say in this situation? He is really caught this time. Jesus doesn't say a word. Jesus is stone cold silent. Hurling these accusations at Jesus, he's just silent. Then probably from his seated position, Jesus now bends down, takes his hand, his finger, and just writes something in the dirt. Still not saying a word. Just scratching in the dirt. Now this lynch mob, they're not content with Jesus' silence. They're not content with that. They think they've got him on the ropes and he's in a no-win situation. He can't possibly get out of this. So they keep hounding him with questions. What's it going to be, Jesus? What are you going to say this time? Lost your tongue, Jesus? Nothing. To... Can anybody hear Jesus? I can't hear him. Jesus, what are you going to say this time? How are you going to get out of this one? You can imagine the hounding of these questions and the ridicule coming from these people. What does Jesus do? He rises from the ground, he opens his mouth and he says this in the latter half of verse 7. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus said what? Let him who is without sin be the first one among you to throw a stone at this woman. Now at first glance when you read that, You might think, well, is Jesus asking for sinless perfection here, like without sin, full stop, ever, before you can make a judgment on somebody else? Jesus is not saying that. See, if that were the case, that Jesus is saying, no, you need sinless perfection before you can make a judgment, no one could ever judge in this world because no one's perfect except for Jesus. No one would qualify for judging. So he's not actually saying that. He doesn't mean that in this situation here, in this context. Jesus is actually asking them this. Are you all completely innocent in the circumstances of this woman? Talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. Have any of you not had a hand or part in the setting up of this woman in this situation? Are you free of that? Are you innocent of that? Because the Mosaic law, which they were quoting to Jesus, the law of Moses, requires that genuine witnesses had to be people who tried to stop the other person from sinning or try to stop the sin from happening at this particular time. In other words, if you've heard of a plan that's been hatched by all this, if you knew all about it and you were complicit in letting it go on, well then, no, you're just as guilty as the rest because you've known about it and you've let it happen. You've been part of it. You should have spoken up and stopped it from taking place. Jesus is asking to describe, are you truly innocent of sin in this situation? And what Jesus has done there is really powerful. Absolute wisdom that he has cut through there with that. Because Jesus has upheld the law of Moses by saying this. He didn't say nobody can throw stones here. Jesus said whoever is without sin in this situation with the woman can throw the first stone. So he didn't say nobody can throw stones. That's all he says. 
and he bends back down and again he writes in the dust. The lynch mob have gone silent. Not a word has been said. All you can hear is the scratching of Jesus' fingers again as he writes in the dirt. Now you've probably got a burning question right about now. What did Jesus write in the dirt? He must have wrote something really special that you know may have triggered them to be doing what they're doing. You know what? We can't answer that question. We cannot answer that question. Plenty of people have tried. There's been plenty of suggestions from lots of people about what he wrote. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what Jesus wrote. It's what he said that cut those people to the heart. Look in verse 9 again. It says this, But when they heard it, not what they saw on the ground, when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Don't waste any time trying to think about what Jesus wrote in the ground. That doesn't matter. It's what they heard Jesus say just in those very, very telling words. Their conscience was jabbed. Their conscience was pricked by what Jesus said. They were complicit in setting this woman up and they were guilty just as much as her. No different. And they had no right to throw any stones at her at all. So what happens? One by one. One by one. Starting with the older ones. As their conscience convicts them deep within They drop their stones and they walk away in silence. They came to shame this frightened, scared woman. They came set out to absolutely denigrate her and destroy her. But now they walk away in shame because they're just as guilty as her in this whole situation. See, the scribes and Pharisees were willing to judge her with a really, really strict judgment, but they weren't willing to apply the same judgment back on themselves happy to give it to her and dump her, but not on themselves. And how quickly we are able to do that ourselves, pass judgment on others when we aren't willing to apply that same judgment to ourselves in life. Uh, We'll judge things in life by our standards and condemn others really quickly because they don't meet up to our standards, as it were. Uh, We judge what she's wearing. We judge how he's acting. We judge how they're parenting their children. Very quickly, according to our standards, but do we even lift a finger to help them who are maybe struggling in some of those areas or help to understand a little bit better in those areas? Or are we willing to apply those same things to our own life? Or are we just easy just to condemn others by applying our standards to them? So easy, just like the scribes and Pharisees, how they judge, we can fall into the same trap, the same trap. After the last set of footsteps can now be heard moving away, Jesus is left alone here with this woman. He stands up and he says to her this in verse 10. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replies, No one, Lord. What Jesus next says to this woman, it really is mind-blowing and staggering when we actually comprehend what he's actually saying in this aspect. He says this in verse 11, uh, and Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Hang on, Jesus. 
she's guilty. She's guilty of adultery. She has sinned against God's holiness and purity. She deserves death according to the law. This is what must take place. How can you so easily just let her get off? How can you just say, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin. How do you do that, Jesus? What do you mean, Jesus? Neither do I condemn you. That's a bit like Jesus said what in the face of that situation? Jesus has every right as the only person in that whole context to pick up stones and start throwing them at her. He's the only sinless person who's ever lived and sinless in this situation. But he says, neither do I condemn you. What Jesus actually says is an incredibly costly statement. This is not just a throwaway line. This is not just, oh, well, I've you know, finished that one today, I'm good. Not at all. What Jesus says here will uphold God's law and holiness. And he'll do this, he'll do this at great expense. Jesus isn't sweeping this woman's sins under the carpet. Her sins, with all of her sins, will meet the full force of God's justice. It's not just doing away with it lightly here in this situation. Because Jesus is telling us something here about his ministry in these words that he's just said to this woman. He's telling something about the ministry he has here that he's brought to earth while he's here for this period of 30 odd years. And his ministry is this. It isn't a ministry of condemnation and judgment to all people. Jesus hasn't come to do that in this uh, ministry. His ministry is one of grace and salvation. Grace and salvation. Here's what he said in verse 17 of John 3, earlier in John's Gospel. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is Jesus' ministry, salvation and restoration. Now, I don't know about you, you may have been in a church before and you felt judged. Maybe you felt condemned even walking into a church. Maybe you've, all you can think about is all of your past and you think every single person in this church is looking at me thinking I must be some sort of filthy sinner, immoral sinner. And you felt judged or condemned walking into a church. I know some people feel that when they come to a church. And then when you hear what Jesus says here, neither do I condemn you, and you see what this woman's done and what she's been up to, maybe that stops you in your tracks. And you thought... I didn't think Jesus would ever say something like that. I thought it was all about judgment, condemnation, judgment, condemnation. Jesus doesn't come to condemn. Jesus comes to save. Jesus comes to rescue the broken and those who are continually running away from God to restore them and bring them back. He doesn't come to condemn and judge. The gospel is all about salvation. The gospel is all about restoration. The gospel is all about forgiveness. The gospel is all about transformation, not condemnation and not judgment. There's a sense where that's there because we know we've done wrong, but Jesus doesn't come to administer that ministry. It's about salvation. And what's Jesus doing? He's rescuing this woman not only from the mob who've actually corralled her into the situation that day, but also to rescue this woman from her life of sin and to restore her to new life and to leave that old life behind. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you to this woman. Jesus, how can you say this costly statement and maintain God's holiness through that? How can you, do, how can you let her go? 
by just saying those simple words. Here's how he does it. Jesus goes to the cross as the shameful and condemned one. Jesus goes to the cross to where the shame and the ridicule that this woman received and was going to continue to receive had Jesus not stepped in. Jesus goes to the cross to bear the price of her sin of adultery and all other sins that she's committed in her life. He wears that in her place. Jesus goes to the cross to be crushed by God's judgment in her place. Jesus wears the stones of justice directed towards her sin. He takes them on himself. Jesus is the stoned one in this situation. And Jesus can tell her, neither do I condemn you because of this, because he was going to take her justice in her place as as her substitute. That's amazing what Jesus is doing here. Because I'm thinking, who would care for this broken, rejected woman when this mob and society all around about her just want to see her trash? Who would really want this woman? Who wants her when she's despised and ridiculed and shamed in front of the whole community and the whole culture and society? Who is she? You imagine her in that point. She's a nobody. She's wrecked a marriage. And she's been shamed by the whole community. Who wants this woman? Jesus does. Jesus does. In a world that so easily belittles women, even in this current week of all the media airplay we've been getting about um, sexual vilification of women. Who wants this woman? Jesus does. Jesus comes to defend women. Jesus comes to rescue women. The gospel is the antidote for women, to rescue them. Jesus loves her. Jesus wants to die in her place to save her and rescue her. And Jesus comes to those who know that they are broken. That's who Jesus comes to. Jesus comes to those who know that their life has been a mass of rejection before him and they've felt the shame and the ridicule of this world where they live. Jesus knows who you are. Jesus knows what's happened in your life and that doesn't push him away. Jesus comes to rescue not only women, Jesus comes to rescue men. Is this the Jesus you know? The Jesus who rescues those who feel they can't be rescued, those who have been shamed. It's a powerful picture of Jesus in this story. Jesus is glorious in this. The whole thing's a frame and a setup to ridicule him and make him look false. But he's amazing because he's God. He doesn't come to condemn us, he comes to save us. He comes to transform us. He comes to bring us back to God and to reconcile us, to make us right before him. So these are the questions we've got to think about today. Who are you today? Who are you today in this story? Are you part of the mob? The scribes, the Pharisees, going about wildly judging others to make yourself look better? Are you you part of the mob? Happy to judge? Happy to throw stones? Happy to cut others down? Or are you the woman caught in adultery? Do you know that you're guilty and you've felt the shame of society and you feel guilty before God? Here's the answer. Jesus doesn't come to condemn you. Jesus doesn't come to crush you. Jesus comes to save you. 
And here's the glorious thing about this story now. That woman went home that day forgiven and set free. The transformation of the gospel just absolutely turned her life around. You too can know that if you'll surrender your life to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today as we come and uh, gather around your word. We thank you, Father, today for this uh, powerful, powerful scene here of uh, Jesus with this woman caught in adultery and this angry, judgmental, critical mob. Lord, they just want blood. They normally want Jesus' blood, but they're happy to trash this woman at the same time. Father, we thank you for the uh, perfection of your son who could see right through all of these judgmental, critical hearts here. Lord, today I pray, please, uh, let this story reverberate through our own lives. Who are we, Lord? Are we the mob? Judging, throwing condemnation, hurling whatever to cut people down. Or are we the woman who caught it in adultery or just feeling the guilt and the shame of this world? Maybe we're both. Father, we thank you today that you come and you take the broken, you take the, the dejected and the rejected. Father, you come today and you receive us just as we are to pick us up and to transform us and change us. Father, we thank you for the forgiving power of the gospel. We pray today, please let it work in our hearts to produce uh, forgiveness, healing and transformation. We pray and let your spirit do that work in our hearts and we ask it in Jesus' name. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 